Father, I would pray that we all here at Rock Valley Bible Church would place our hope firmly on Jesus and on Him alone. God, there, there's no place for us to, to hope in our flesh, God, or hope in our, our righteousness, or hope in our church attendance, or hope in our religiosity, or the prayers we say, or the, the things we do, or the things we believe, or the things we say. God, it, it's all on Christ, and just trust in Him and in Him alone. And Father, so we would pray even today as we think about prayer, as we talk about prayer, um, just from Romans 8, Lord, I, I pray that, that God it would just drive us to, to trust in Jesus. And there are gems here in this passage that everything doesn't have to be right in our lives. God, we, we don't even need to know how to pray. God, we simply need to pray. We simply need to cry out to You and, and seek and beg Your help. So I pray, God, that that would be clear in our message, that you would um, feed us from your word. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, so Andrew, I want to get some volume here. Um, we're going to start with a, uh, with a little video, okay? Um, so let, let me, my, my volume is, is about three quarters, so here we go. Are we, are we dull there? No, we're good. Okay, we're dulling back maybe. Okay, so maybe some of you have probably seen this before. Um, it's, a, it's a heart-touching moment from the 1992 Summer Olympics in Barcelona. And the music isn't so, it's not such a big sound sort of thing. But here's Derek Redman competing for Great Britain in the 400-meter dash. He held the British record at the time. And uh, was... Uh, Fastest time in qualifiers, and this is what happened to him down the back stretch. Yep, great. Lots of you guys have. Rips his hamstring. Yep, and you're exactly right. It's uh, it's his dad coming and helping him, Jim Redman, going past security, sees his son's in trouble, um, going past security and uh, walking that last lap together. It's really a great picture of our text today, right? A father coming to help his son in time of need. If you haven't done so already, I invite you to open your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. We're going to look at verses 26 and 27. Just two verses. They're not the easiest of verses. There's some uh, difficulty in interpretation, but the big picture is not difficult at all. And it is definitely rewarding. And, and here's what it teaches us. It teaches us that God is active in helping us and keeping us through the hardest difficulties and things and trials of life. See, the human experience is an experience of hardship. As Job said, man is born to trouble as sparks fly upward. And last week, right, we talked about the trouble that, that we experience. Romans 8, 18 through 25, which talked about our, our path from, from groaning to glory. That God's pan, plan for His people is not eternal growing, groaning that takes place here upon earth. It's eternal glory that awaits us. And, and there's certainly enough struggles and pains and sorrows in this life that we all know a bit of groaning, right, don't we? I mean, that's from the global scale of wars and disasters and terror attacks down to our personal scale or physical pains and financial hardship and just the aches and pains of growing older. 
We all face a fair amount of groaning. And the good news last week was this, right? However great the groaning is, the glory will far exceed any pain and sorrow and difficulty and sufferings that we express. I mean, that, that's Romans 8.18. I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us, right? In other words, right, you, you take a scale and if you put God's glory on one side, it would be there. And if you put our present suffering, it doesn't even tip the scale, like, like not even a little bit. It's like, like a little, little dust, just right there. It doesn't even hardly affect it at all. And that's the good news of last week, that as great as the, the groaning is, the glory is far greater. The, the good news of our text this week is even better than last week, is this, that, that God doesn't leave us alone in our sufferings and in our trials. Right? In other words, not as if God says to us, yes, I know, I see your suffering, and it's real, and it's hard, and, and, and I know all about it, right, but you're on your own. Come on, you can do it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cheer you on like that crowd of 65,000 people cheering on the runner here. Come on, I, I know you can do it. Come on, let's do it. Just, just wait till the end. It's going to be worth it. No, that's not it at all. But like Derek Redmond, we have a father who comes to our aid in the midst of our sufferings. My message this morning is entitled, He Helps Us. Because that's what these two verses teach us, is that God comes and helps us. And so as as great as the suffering is in the world, right, God's not left us alone. He helps us through those trials. So let's just read these two verses, right? Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. I trust you can see my main point there right there in verse 26, is right? The Spirit helps us. God has not left us alone. He's, he's with us. He helps us. And I trust you can see my first point there in verse 26 as well, right? He helps us in our weakness. Like, isn't that when we, we need help? Right? When we're weak, right? You think about it. Those of you who are strong, and when you're strong and all is well, you don't, you don't need help. Right? When you're young and healthy and vivacious, you can just bound right on up the stairs. But if you're older and more frail, you need help. Either from a railing or from a, uh, an arm to lean on. Right? If you're feeling well, you can go outside to the park and play and enjoy your picnic dinner. But if you're sick with a fever... You need help even to have someone drive you to the doctor's office so you get help. See, none of the other sprinters in Barcelona needed help. None of the other dads came on the, on the, the track, but Derek Redmond's dad did because Derek Redmond was hurt. And we, see, we need help when we're weak, not when we're strong. And when we're weak, the good news is this, that God helps us. That's why the poor in spirit are the rich in faith. And in fact, that's why Jesus said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. That's why Jesus came to seek and save the lost. See, because God isn't looking for the strong, He's looking for the weak. He's looking for those who say, I can't do it on my own, God. I need your help and your grace. Because that is the premise of the gospel, is it not? That we are weak and in need of 
help. We, we are helpless in our sin and there's no way that we can save ourselves, right? For Martin Luther, he couldn't save himself through his monkery. He couldn't save himself through his priesthood. He couldn't save himself through his confession and through his beating of himself and through his beating of his body. He couldn't save himself in that way. It's only when he got the end of himself. We just cried out to God and God saved him by his grace. That's when we are, are saved. In fact, being strong and righteous is often a hindrance in terms of the kingdom of heaven because it leads to pride and self-sufficiency. But see, it's when we're, we're broken in our sin. That's when we repent and that's when we cry out to God for mercy and he saves us. Isn't it the picture of the, the Pharisee and the tax gatherer who went up to the temple? Right? The, the Pharisee paraded his self-righteousness in his prayer to God. Right, God, I thank you that I'm all these things and I do all these things. The tax collector, on the other hand, wasn't even willing to lift up his eyes to heaven. All he could do was beat his breast and say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus said, one of them went down to the house justified. And it wasn't the Pharisee. It was the weak one. See, God loves to help the helpless. That's exactly what our text says, right? Verse 26, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Right? And you can see this all throughout the Bible, that that's the message of the Bible. The message of the Bible isn't that there are, are strong and righteous people who are so good that God has to let them into heaven. The, the message of the Bible is that we're all weak and bad and God by His grace saves and redeems. See, you see God is a father of a fatherless and a protector of widows. He has a special heart for those who have no fathers. He has a special heart for wives who have lost their husbands and, and who are walking in the world alone. And when Israel came into the promised land, God said this through Moses. It was not because you were more in number than any of the other people. The Lord set his love upon you and chose you for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it's because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath which he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Right? God didn't choose Israel because, oh, they're the powerful people. I need to choose them. No, he chose one man. And promised to him to make him a great nation. And then they flourished. He chose them when they were few in number. And when Gideon led the Israelites to defeat the Midianites. 30,000 men in the army. Many. And so he filtered it down to 300. And they defeated the Midianites by blowing trumpets and banging pots together. And the Lord confused the Midianites. And so... Gideon and his army were able to take them and conquer them, only 300 men. It was a demonstration of weakness that God might be strong. Or when they took Jericho, right, they marched around and they shouted and the walls came down. They weren't, they weren't coming in the strength of their army, they were coming in the power of the name of the Lord. Or, or it was David, the young lad, who defeated Goliath. Because David was the one who trusted the Lord. He, he said this, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. There it is. Right? I'm weak. And when we're weak, then we are, are strong. Zechariah 4, 6 said it this way. Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And that's the truth of our text. The spirit of God helps us in our weakness. A second point is this. The spirit of God helps us in our prayers. Look at, look at the middle of verse 26. Likewise, the spirit helps us in our weakness. And a weakness is coming to pray. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. Now think about that. We do not know what to pray for as we ought. What an amazing statement that Paul made. Isn't the Bible 
full of prayers for us to learn and to pray. The Psalms are divinely inspired prayers that that we can pray. I mean, I could easily fill the next hour just reading through the Psalms. Just just reading them um, and just even looking for the ones that are explicitly prayers to God. Like Psalm 3 or Psalm 4, Psalm 5 or Psalm 6 or Psalm 102 that was read today. Psalm 103 or Psalm 90. We, we could just read a bunch of... Let, let, me just, let me just give you a few random prayers from the Bible. Psalm 4.1 Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You've given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. Or Psalm 63, O God, You are my God. Earnestly I seek You. My soul thirsts for You. My flesh faints for You as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I've looked upon You in the sanctuary, beholding Your power and glory because Your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise You. I will bless You as long as I live. In Your name I will lift up my hands. Or Psalm 67, May God be gracious to us and bless us And make His face shine upon us that your ways may be known on the earth, your salvation among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. We we could just go on and on. And I just kind of picked a few random ones. We could pick um, uh, 1 Samuel 2, Hannah's prayer. We could pick Jonah chapter 2, Jonah's prayer. Or Daniel 9, Daniel's prayer. Or Ezra 9, Ezra's prayer. But Paul says we do not know how to pray for as we ought. I mean, what about Jesus? Didn't Jesus teach us to pray in the Sermon on the Mount? He says, when you pray, don't heap empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need. Before you ask Him, pray then like this. Let's pray together. I'm sure you know. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us and lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Isn't that what Jesus said you should pray? But Paul says here in verse 26, we don't know how to pray. We don't know what to pray for us, we ought to. And think about it, this is mind-blowing. It's Paul himself who prayed some of the greatest prayers in the Bible. Like, here's just one. Ephesians 3, 14 through 19. Thank you my prep this week. I heard someone say, if I could just pray one prayer like that in my life, I would feel totally satisfied that I have arrived as one who knows how to pray. Ephesians 3. For this reason, Paul says, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. What a great, what a great prayer. And that to Him who is able to do exceeding abundantly beyond whatever you ask or think, to Him be glory forever. How then does Paul write? We do not know what to pray for as we ought. Did you notice that Paul included himself there? We do not know how to pray for what to pray for as we ought. How can Paul, who gave some of the, the greatest prayers in the Bible, say that? 
Here's what I think. It gets down to specifics. I mean, you, you can pray pretty generally in, in God's plan and God's will, but, but when you get down to specifics and details, I think that's right where it starts to know. I, I don't know. And maybe you remember Paul's struggle in, in Philippians chapter 1. He says, to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. He says, but if I'm to live on in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which to choose, I, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ. That's better. But to remain in the flesh more necessary for your account. How's he supposed to pray? Was he supposed to pray for life or supposed to pray for his martyrdom to, to come soon? Was he supposed to pray for fruitful labor or was he supposed to pray for his death, which meant gain, which he considered to be far better? There's difficulty. Paul didn't know what to pray or how, or how to pray. What about this? How, how about an illness? Someone gets sick, they mention around, emails shoot out, right? Oh, pray for so-and-so, they're sick. Let, let me just ask you, is cure always the answer? It's not. Is deliverance always the best? Is relief from the trial always God's way? William Hendrickson illustrates it well in his commentary. He described this pastor who was over a congregation. He was, he was dearly loved by his congregation and he became gravely ill. And the congregation just pleaded for this pastor whom they loved greatly and they, and they, and they fasted and they prayed that God would restore him to health and, and he died. And then a, a close friend of this pastor, a fellow pastor, um, led the service and the funeral service was bold enough to say this. Perhaps some of you are in danger of arriving at the conclusion that the Heavenly Father does not hear prayer. Oh, He does hear prayer. But in this particular case, two prayers were probably opposing each other. You were praying, oh God, spare His life, for we need Him badly. And the Spirit's unspoken prayer request was this. Take Him away, for the congregation is leaning altogether too heavily upon Him and not upon Thee. And the Father heard the prayer of the Spirit and that's your prayer. Kind of gives you a, an insight about how we don't know how to pray for as we ought. A, a biblical illustration might be Paul's thorn in the flesh. And remember that illustration from 2 Corinthians chapter 12. He, he said he's got this thorn in the flesh. And we don't know what it was. Physical ailment. He called it a messenger of Satan. So it may have been someone or an enemy or a demon or something. It doesn't really matter. But what does matter is that it was, it was unpleasant. And Paul pleaded with the Lord that, that he would remove it from him. And God said no. And, and he did that three times. And each time God said no. Because God had a greater plan. Deliverance and comfort wasn't God's plan for Paul. But when we pray for someone, how often do we pray for, pray for deliverance and comfort? Isn't it always, we always pray for healing. And, 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 and I don't think that's necessarily wrong. Okay? But... It might be that that's not the will of God. There might be something else going on. And God explained in Paul's case, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. God's power is greater when we're weak than we are strong. And so God made Paul weak that he might trust in the Lord, that he might be strong in God's strength. Right? And the contrary is also true, right? When we're strong, God's power in us is weak. Because we're trusting in ourselves. 
the universal testimony I've seen as a pastor is this, is that when things are difficult, that's when people are, are really growing in Christ because they, they really have to depend upon Him in every way. It, right, when, when things are going well, growth in Christ isn't always so well. And it may just be the trials that come into our lives are intended by God to make us weak so that we trust in Him in greater and greater ways. And so the question becomes, right, should we, should we pray then for the trial to be removed when God's design for that very trial is for our good, for our sanctification? See, the, the reality is this, that we don't know what to pray for as we ought, and so the Holy Spirit helps us in our prayers. It doesn't think, take long to think about difficult circumstances and how to pray. So, for instance, here, here's just one instance. This week, we've got some friends, or Stephanie has some friends of a family that I know sort of. They wouldn't know me. I kind of know them. Um, and uh, we heard this week that their 18-year-old son died when hiking in Maryland. Some kind of hiking accident. Some type of maybe falling off a cliff or uh, falling off an edge or something like that. And uh, how do you pray for that? I guess, I mean, this has really hit me because I've got a son who likes to take risks. Right? I got some daughters who like to take risks too, like hiking Angels Landing at Zion National Park this, this year. And so, um, and they could easily, one false step, they could be gone. Krista told me that when they, they hiked Angels Landing this past year, I'm not sure if you're familiar with it, but it basically is a rock fin that goes really high and on either side, you know, whatever, four, three feet wide and either side you're talking about hundreds of feet down. She said she dropped her, um, uh, her water bottle. And oh, it was so close. It was so close. It was... But it could have been one decision. She went to get it. A rock comes loose and she's done. So I've really been thinking about this, this person, Max is his name. Like, just visioning that. Like, that's my son. How, their family experiences so much. How do we pray for them? How do you pray for grief they're experiencing? How do you know this? You pray for the suffering they'll face. I don't know. I don't know how to pray for them. But here's the good news, right? God knows that I don't know. Isn't that good news? That God knows that I don't know how to pray. And so I can pray and just say, God, I don't know what to pray. Just, just help in the situation. Or, you know, terrorist attacks like in Las Vegas. What I got to do is take one of those people and, and just personalize them some way. And then you're like, senseless, right? Here they've gone to have a good time and they're gone. They don't come, they don't come back home. How, how do you pray for that? I mean, it affects, it, it affects the family. It affects friends, work. How do you pray? I don't know. But here's what I do know, right? That God knows that I don't know what to pray for as I ought. How about this? Right? There's a, a family in the church neighborhood. I think maybe they're out in the, the foyer, the family room there. His dad needs a heart transplant. Some of you have brought meals to them. Thank you very much on their behalf. But, but he needs a new heart, right? His, his heart is sick and failing. Um, he's on a heart transplant list. How do you pray for that? Like, as I've thought about praying for that, think about this. As I pray for Gordon that God would provide him a new heart, what am I praying? God, would you kill someone else 
so that Gordon gets a heart, right? Because he needs someone to die with a beating heart so that he can get a beating heart in his own chest cavity. Like, how do you pray for someone to die so that someone else might live? I don't, I don't know. But the good news is that God knows that I don't know. And so I can, I can just pray, God, here's a situation... I have no idea, but I'm, I'm concerned. You know, I, I know these folks, I love these folks, and I, I, I just help them. Or what about this? How about people who are suffering greatly because of, of bad choices they've made in their life? Right? And it may be that the very things they're suffering is the disciplining hand of the Lord to try to draw them back to Christ. And are we to pray that God would remove the discipline, the very discipline that according to Hebrews 12, He is designing so as to bring them back to Jesus? And basically, our prayer is to short-circuit God's plans to discipline Him, to bring Him back to Jesus. But we don't know if it's discipline. We don't know what's being done with that. Well, how do you pray? We don't know how to pray. But what? God knows that we don't know and will come and help. Or what about the unbeliever who, who, is, who is making, you know, bad decisions in their life? And, and the consequences are, are coming long and hard upon their lives. And, and those decisions are designed by God so as to, to turn them back. Psalm 119 verse 67 says, Before I was afflicted I went astray, but now I keep your word. See, in other words, it was the very affliction which was the means through which someone kept the Word. And, and how quick we are to, to request prayer, to request right, relief from this. And I understand that. But we don't know what to pray. Or how about the earthquake in, in Nepal? It was about oh, what, three years ago, four years ago, something like that. I mean, awful, awful disaster. Do you believe God is sovereign over earthquakes? Yes is the right answer, by the way. You're like, oh man, all this disaster and all this death. But you know what? That earthquake became the means of starting a church, like I told you a few weeks ago in Sun Depalchoke, Nepal, where the, where the most influential man of that, that village became a Christian. And now many are Christians. Apart from that earthquake, that would never have happened. I remember talking with a man who was in an earthquake in the San Francisco area. And uh, that was the very thing that turned him to Jesus. And, and, and who knows what these hurricanes and these natural disasters in Puerto Rico right now, how many people are crying out to God and being found by Him because of these... Earth- we don't know when these disasters... I mean, instantly when these disasters happen, we, we want to help, we want to restore, right? That's, that's what we want to do. We don't know how to pray. But God knows that we don't know what to pray for. But here's the really good news, is that God helps us by His prayers. In fact, this is how He helps us. We don't know how to pray for us, we ought, but the last part of verse 26, but what? The Spirit Himself intercedes with us with groanings too deep for words. Now what an amazing thing this is, that the Spirit prays for us. Okay, What, what makes it amazing is, is the Trinity. Here you have God Praying to God on your behalf. And in this way, He's helping us. He's helping us through the sufferings of life. 
Now, we know from Hebrews that Jesus is our great high priest, right? That, that He is the high priest who, who intercedes for us, who, who goes into the Holy of Holies, who offered Himself and, and died. And, and as such, the great high priest, He says, the former priest, Hebrews seven twenty three through 25 the former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing on. But Jesus holds His priesthood permanently because He continues forever. Consequently, is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through Him since He always lives to make intercession for them. Jesus' job in heaven right now is to make intercession for His people. It's like His full-time job, right? I'm a pastor. Dirk, you're an engineer. Right? Dallas, you're a, a teacher. Right? Gary, you're a financial planner. Paul, you're a machinist or something. We, we can go around, right? What people do. Jesus, what's your job? I pray. I'm a prayer. I always live to make intercession for them. So, here we got the Trinity, right? We have God the Father, we have God the Son, we have God the Spirit, and we have God the Son praying for us, and we have the Spirit praying for us. Look at verse 27, it says this, He who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Okay, so here's, here's the best illustration we got, alright? This is the best picture about God that we have. We, we have God... God is the Father, God is the Son, God is the Holy Spirit. But the Father's not the Son, and the Father's not the Holy Spirit, and the Son is not the Holy Spirit. This is what we mean by Trinity. This is what just comes out. You have verses that, that show that God is the Father. You have verses that show that God is the Son. You have verses that show that God is the Holy Spirit. But you have verses that show that the Father's not the Son, and you have verses that show the Holy Spirit is not the Son, and the Father's not the Holy Spirit. And you put them all together, and, and there's... God in three persons. One God in three persons. That's just a, a picture of how, how theologians do it. But here it is. The Holy Spirit prays to the Father. And the Son prays to the Father. That's what's happening. This inner Trinitarian communication about praying. And what are they talking about? What are they, They're praying for us. Mind-blowing. And here's the great thing that verse 27 says, is that when the Spirit prays, He knows what to pray, and He prays perfectly. 100% of the prayers of the Spirit are answered. Now, how many of you would like 100% answer to prayer? Uh, I know my answers to prayer hover around um, like 10%. I mean, I'd, I'd, be, I'd be happy for a, a major leaguer, right, to hit 300. I'd love to do that in my prayers. But, and I think some of it is because I'm praying outside of the will of God. I mean, praying for people's conversion, right? praying for, for people to, to see their need of Christ, and they don't. Their hearts remain hard. But the Spirit, 100% of His prayers are answered. But that's what it means there in verse, the end of verse 27. The Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Everything the Spirit prays lines up in perfection with God's will for our lives. See, our greatest struggle in prayer is that we don't know everything. If we knew everything, if we knew the mind of God, if we knew the mind of man, we could pray perfectly and it would all work out. But the Spirit knows the will of God. The Spirit knows the plan of God. And here, by the way, beloved, is where we, we get such great benefit from this passage that says the Spirit prays for us perfectly. 
And I would say here at the end of verse 26, this is where there's some difficulty in interpretation, but I, I will put forth what I think it means. Is I, I think the Spirit is suffering right with us. Look at verse 26. Right, right at the end it says, The Spirit Himself, the third person of the Trinity, Himself, He intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. See, there's some debate about what His groanings mean. Like, whose groaning is this? Is this our groaning? Is it Spirit's groanings? Right, there are some charismatics who want to say, well, this is our groanings. And in fact, this is what tongues is. Well, I would say you, you, that can't be because it's groanings too deep for words. Like, it's not words. Tongues are words, and this is not words. It can't be, can't be tongues. Uh, but, the, but there are others who say, well, well, this can't be the Spirit, right? Because the Spirit knows how to pray. Why is the Spirit groaning, right? The Spirit can't groan. He knows the will of God. He doesn't need to groan, right? And, and here's why I say that objection is a theological objection rather than an exegetical um, clarity, I think. And, and, and so they say, well, if the Spirit can't groan, then this must be us. And so they read verse 26 like this. The Spirit Himself intercedes for us by our groanings too deep for words. But I think you're throwing some things in there, and I think the easiest way just to flesh itself out is that the Spirit groans. The Spirit groans. The Spirit Himself intercedes with us with groanings too deep for words. So here you've got wordless communication between the Spirit and the Father. Just groaning. The Spirit is longing for things in in His prayer. And so I guess here's what I'd say. Right? The Bible doesn't talk much about this. In fact, this might be the only verse in the Bible, so don't hold it so strongly. Right? And I'm not denying that we groan either. Okay? We have difficulties, and, and uh, it's not wiping out our groaning. It's not wiping out our groanings, which are too deep for words before God. Right? If there's something that you just feel like you're going to pray for, but you don't know how to pray, and you just words don't come, you just... God totally understands. And that prayer is as effective as some nice oration from some preacher in the front of some church. In fact, probably better. Because it's more like the publican rather than the the Pharisee, the the tax collector. And so we groan. I'm not saying that this says we don't groan. And I'm not saying that this says we don't groan um, with things that we don't understand when we pray to God. I mean, the, the second... Part of verse 26, if we don't know what to pray for us, we ought. We, how are we supposed to pray then? Because our words won't come right. Certainly we groan. But I think, verse 26, I think it's clear. The Spirit groans with groans too deep for words. It's just too closely connected. I think this is why we see the likewise. Okay, I've skipped that so far, but I think that's the likewise of verse 26. Because we see, verse 19, we see the, the creation uh, waiting with eager longing, and we see the creation groaning. And, and verse 23, it's not only the creation, but we groan. And then likewise, who else groans? The Spirit groans. So the creation is groaning in this time, we are groaning in this time, and the Spirit sympathizing with us, interceding for us, is groaning right along with us. You have inter-Trinitarian compassion going on here. See, sometimes we think about God as just like, like off and, 
and whatever. Just uh, the deism has influenced us, right? Just, just off, and he's just way away. But here we see emotions and passions and and struggles and and groanings that 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 God even knows that there's things are not right here on earth, and the Holy Spirit is is groaning as well, and He cares for us. Right, I mean, the, the hymn we sing, this is talking about Jesus, but we could sing it as the Holy Spirit as well, right? What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry. Help me. Okay. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. See, this is privilege to, to bring things to God through the Son and through the Holy Spirit. The, the Son argues His work on the cross. Right? Upward I look and see Him there who made an end to all my sin. And the Holy Spirit is likewise groaning with compassion to us. Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. We should take it to the Lord in prayer. Have we have a friend so faithful? Who will all our sorrows share? Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. And the Holy Spirit knows our every weakness. Because, verse 27, right? He who searches hearts knows what's the mind of the Spirit, knows what's the mind of, of man. We, we just, God knows and understands fully what's going on. And we just need to offer up our, our prayers and trust to him. And I think that's what the likewise is. Creation groans, we groan, and even in the Godhead, there's some groaning and paining because things are not right. But like last week, when the sons of God are revealed, with his glories revealed, all will be well in the universe. Well, I want to have us turn to Matthew chapter 26. We transition to the Lord's Supper because this passage here is the great illustration of, of our text today. Matthew 26, we find Jesus in the garden, and he's thinking about his upcoming death, right? which is why the Lord's Supper is, is so perfect here at, at this point. He's, he's struggling with the, the things that await him. He says in Matthew chapter 26, verse 36, Jesus went to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of, of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, or to use the language of Romans 8, it is groaning, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, Jesus fell on his face and prayed, saying, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And there we see Jesus in his humanity, not quite understanding, pleading for a way out of the crucifixion because it is so painful and shameful. And, but yet he says, and this is, by the way, the best clarification we can do, according to your will. Right? We, we pray for someone's healing, for sure. But let's always submit it to God's will, what the Spirit knows, what the Father will. Here he is desiring one thing, praying another, and just saying, God, I will submit myself to your will, whatever be it. And so Jesus came to his disciples and found them sleeping. Is that not a great picture of us? Have you ever fallen asleep praying? I have. More often than my wife does, we pray together. I, I, 
I pray and fall asleep. Sometimes it's hard, right? You start getting sleepy and we're praying together before we go to bed each night. We just kind of just fade out. Sometimes it's hard to get... We're sleepy. And she said, could you not watch with me for one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And there's the weakness theme, right? Is that God helps us in our weakness. He helps us in our prayers. He helps us by our prayers, by his prayers. And then again, same, same scene, verse 42. For the second time, Jesus went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. Submitting himself to the will of God, exactly like the, the Spirit prays. Again, Romans eight twenty seven. He who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. He's just trying to align himself to Jesus with the will of God. And again, he came and found his weak disciples sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. Our eyelids weighed a few ounces, and they were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and he prayed a third time, saying the same words, and he came back. The disciples again were sleeping. He said, sleep and take your rest later. See, the hours at hand. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going, my tra- betrayers at hand. And, and there you see the weakness of man, and you see Jesus in his humanity praying perfectly, right? Giving his desire, making known what he knows before the Lord, but submitting himself to God's plan for his life, and he willingly went to the cross for our sins. And, and, and praise the Lord, really, that he did. We've been this morning in our prayer meeting, First Peter 2.24, And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. And and that's what Jesus did upon the cross. He bore our sins upon his shoulders to making us right for God, that he he died the death that we should have died. And that's what we celebrate in the Lord's Supper. You remember the night when he was betrayed, he took the bread and says, this is for you. This is in replace. This is my body for you. This is my body for you in replacement of his body died for us so that we might live. And that's God's grace to us in the gospel of Christ. So let's, let's bow our heads. We plan to celebrate the Lord's Supper as we do every four to six weeks or so as we focus our attention upon Jesus. I encourage you, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, to examine yourself. Just if this is, if you are a believer in Christ Celebrate this meal and just say, God, I don't know what to pray for. I am weak. I, I, don't, I don't know. And taking this bread and drinking this cup is a, is a sign affirmation of that. But if, if this is not you, if, if, you're, if you're on your own and you don't believe in Christ, you're not trusting in him, or maybe you're walking in a, a sinful path without repentance, I just encourage you to repent before celebrating this supper because... God has said it will bring judgment upon you if you don't judge the body rightly. But this is a time of celebration, really joy, as we think about all that Christ has, has done for us. And even today, it's, it's that our, our weakness is it's not a problem before the Lord. Because he knows our weakness, and he knows our frailty, and he knows we don't know how to pray. But our efforts to prayer are really an acknowledgement of our weakness and our dependency and our trust upon him. We're thankful for the Holy Spirit who, who prays for us. And just would pray, Spirit, even now.
that you would pray for us, help teach us how to pray, help teach us what to pray, give us a, a passion to pray. That's an expression of what, what we need from you. And even in this hour, what, what do we need? We need a clear view of Jesus. God, that maybe through the week has drifted a bit because we haven't been with your people under your word around those proclaiming your truth and would pray, oh God, that you would stir in us afresh to see Jesus in a, in a greater way. We thank you, God, for his sacrifice upon the cross. We remember him here in this supper. God, may you be glorified. May our spirits be edified. In Jesus' name, amen.